Hey, thanks for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can head to our website at RenewalChicago.com. I pray today that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. Good morning, Renewal family. Good morning. Am I on mark? You got me? All right. As Pastor Derek said, my name is Steve, and I have the privilege of opening the scriptures uh, with you all this morning. We're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 5. Nehemiah uh, chapter 5. Happy Black History Month to those of you who are celebrating Black History Month. Um, yeah. Come on. Um, Nehemiah chapter 5. Over the course of the past several weeks, we've been talking about the storyline of the people of Israel rebuilding Jerusalem. Uh, and the wall that existed outside of the city that, uh, that protected the city in many ways. And so this morning we're continuing on, but there's a, a bit of a, a unique thing that happens in this particular passage that I know if we highlight enough in the Old Testament scriptures. And so when you've got Nehemiah chapter 5, would you do me a favor and shout, I got it. And if you've got it and you're able, would you rest on your feet as we read the scripture together? Reads this way. Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, with our sons and our daughters, we are many. So let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There were also those who said, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers, our children are as their children, yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves, and some of our daughters have already been enslaved. But it is not in our power to help it. For other men have our fields and our vineyards. Nehemiah's response, I was very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. I took counsel with myself and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. I said to them, you are exacting interest each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them and said to them, we as far as we are able have brought back our Jewish brothers from, uh, who have been sold to the nations. But you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. They were silent and could not find a word to say. So I said, the thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies? Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. Return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, their houses and the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that you have been exacting from them. Then they said, we will restore these and require nothing from them. Take out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise. So may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen, and praised the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. 
Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah from the 20th year to the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, the king, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. The former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them for their daily ration, 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people, but I did not do so because of the fear of God. I also preserved in the work, persevered in the work on this wall, and, and we acquired no land, and all my servants were gathered there for the work. Moreover, there were at my table 150 men, Jews and officials besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Now, what was prepared at my expense, at his expense, each day was an ox and six choice sheep and birds, and every 10 days all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet for all this, I did not demand the food allowance of the governor because of the service because the service was too heavy on this people. Remember for, remember for my good, oh my God, all that I have done for this people. Very words of scripture. Amen. You may be seated. His name was Richard Allen. He was owned by ironically enough, a Christian lawyer named Benjamin Chu, who then sold part of his family to uh, a Delaware man by the name of Mr. Stokely. Where at 17 years old, despite uh, being torn from his family by the uh, incessant claws of American chattel slavery, Richard Allen responded to the gospel message Jesus Christ, and later became a licensed minister in 1872. Five years later, though, he and uh, his colleague Absalom Jones and a group of African Americans went uh, to a worship gathering at St. George's Methodist Episcopal Church in Philadelphia. The service began with uh, singing and continued in a time of prayer. And in the midst of that time of prayer, these black followers of Jesus, as they were on their knees praying to Jesus, were confronted by a group of non-black followers of Jesus. They were picked up off of their knees and escorted out of the service. What ensued was the establishing of a new church called the Bethel African Methodist Episcopal Church. You ever wondered why black churches and white churches don't get together? Uh, it was because of this day, back in 1787, when Richard Allen was praying on his knees and he was picked up and escorted out. As we get ready to come to our text today, we see an example, really, in my opinion, of what could have happened that day at St. George's Cathedral. We see a glimpse of what could have taken place, and not because people wanted to make progress, even though progress is good, not, not because people wanted to make sure that they honored human beings for being human beings, which is a good thing, of course, but they did it because of the character of God. They did it because God 
is a God of justice. And those who follow him must detest injustice in any and all shapes, fashions, and forms. So this morning, I, I want to preach from that subject this morning. I want to preach from the subject, rebuilding takes justice. Rebuilding takes justice. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and for your kindness towards us, even as we have sung and talked about your faithfulness, your mercies that are new every morning. God, the fact that you put strength in our bodies, breath in our lungs, and so I pray in our moments together this morning that you would make much of Jesus. God, that you would show us the holistic nature of what he came to do for your glory and our good. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Amen. So over the course of time that we've been journeying through the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 1 tells us the storyline of how Nehemiah gets the news that the walls of Jerusalem have been torn down and they are burnt. And he is incredibly saddened by the particular situation uh, to the point where for four months he begins to pray and ask God for the opportunity to figure out what to do, to, to be able to help the circumstance and the situation. Uh, and so ultimately the king of Babylon at, at the time sees the cupbearer who is Nehemiah sad and what never happens is a king asking a cupbearer, why are you sad, happened. Uh, so that Nehemiah then tells the king the situation that the city of Jerusalem is in and the, the situation that the people of Israel are in. Uh, he creates this plan, chapter 2 talks about, uh, and then chapter 3, he begins the work of rebuilding uh, the wall of Jerusalem. In chapter 4, Pastor Derek talked about it last week. We looked at the opposition that the people of Israel uh, had to the work that was happening. And now in chapter 5, what we have is the situation or the circumstance that has been created in light of broken people trying to accomplish a certain task. There are those who have taken advantage of the situation. Uh, and there, there are those who have been placed in poverty because of those who have taken advantage of the situation. So look with me at verse number one. It's interesting to me because in chapter five, we, we see the challenges surrounding injustice. Chapter five shows us a number of different issues that one might face in a broken world. Economic crisis, a food desert. It even makes you think about what happens when poverty sticks around too long. What, what people are willing to do in order to survive. Liens are taken out on assets, and, 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 and capital was placed on uh, in order to, to keep things, given bad loans to furnish homes and to keep going, cash checking places, and Aaron's rent-a-center, and, and come go with me, somebody. Poverty turns to trauma, which turns to self-medication, which then turns to trauma. Verse number one. Now there arose a great outcry 
of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. They, 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 uh, uh, Martin Luther King said that, that, uh, that riots are the voice of the unheard, or the language of the unheard. There's this great outcry. People are, literally, it's boiling over in such a way that the news gets to Nehemiah. And and, and why has this happened? Verse 2, will you look at it with me? With our sons and our daughters, we are many. So let us get grain that we may stay alive. So probably what's happening in this particular situation is that many of the men are busy working on the wall. And as they're busy working on the wall... That means that their, their fields and their vineyards and the things that uh, created produce for them to eat, they're not able to work them. And so now their families uh, ha- have now uh, been put in a situation where they don't know where they're going to find food. It's a food desert. Verse 3, there were also those who said, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. And so uh, if you think about this, when, when they're talking about mortgaging our fields, uh, maybe some of you have, uh, have, done, uh, have done a home improvement uh, uh, kind of project at your house. And so you went to the bank and the bank said, uh, well, you can take a home equity line of credit out, right? Uh, and usually, typically, the home equity line of credit is at a greater interest rate than that of Uh, your regular mortgage, uh, which is fine as long as the the money that you're putting back into the house is going to make the value of the house go up. Uh, And yet that's not what's happening in this particular text. They're taking out lines of credit on their own land just so that they can get food to eat. And the interest rate is exorbitant, so much so that they won't be able to get their land back, ever. And according to verse 4, they borrowed money just to be able to pay the king's tax. It's tax time. Y'all getting your stuff together, your 1099s and all of that? Uh, you, you, you're sending it in and, and, and you, you praying to the Lord. Uh, you, you got your accountant on, on the phone every other day, so, so you sure you're going to get something back? And, and, and what, what is this looking like, this, that, and the other? And, and, and the reality is you, sh- you, should, you should be trying to not get a check back because that means that you already paid the government too much money, be- and that's the only reason why you're getting it back. But imagine you go to file your taxes and the accountant comes back and says, you owe $25,000. Then not only is there not a payback system for that $25,000, not, uh, not only is there no way for you to pay that money back, but in order to pay it back, because you have nobody working the field, you don't even really own the field any longer, you have to take out a loan to pay your taxes, and the loan is 25%. And so they're they're in such a terrible circumstance that that it it has been 
uh, predatory lender after predatory lender after predatory lender, and it's just a cycle of predatory lenders to the point that they lost the very things that they came into the world with. But that's not all. Verse 5. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers, our children, are as their children, meaning we were sold into slavery. Now they begin to sell their own children into slavery. Yet we are forcing our sons and daughters to be slaves, and some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but it is not in our power to help it, for other men have our fields and our vineyards. I don't only owe something I'll never get back. I've given my own children to help appease my lenders. Now, to be clear, what existed in the Old Testament was not what we know as American chattel slavery. Uh, it is in, in a certain form, a certain time period is set up in order to pay off a debt, and yet this particular form of slavery, because the debt is so exorbitant, it may never be paid back. And so they may literally be uh, in a situation like American chattel slavery. So here's Nehemiah's response to all of this. Verse 6, I was very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. I took counsel with myself, and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. I said to them, you are exacting interest each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them and said to them, we, as far as we are able, have bought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations, but you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. Steve Coble translation. So you mean to tell me, that the very reason why we're here back building this wall was that we got sold into slavery. We come back out of slavery, and then we sell our own people into slavery. Y'all don't see the irony in that? That's the dumbest thing I've heard. That, that's Nehemiah's response. And and, and here's the thing. One of the interesting things, if you, if you go back and look at, at the Old Testament scripture, because of Nehemiah, you can kind of feel the essence of Nehemiah's response, is that that's the big beef that God had with the people of Israel before he sent them into Babylonian captivity, was their own oppression of their own people. Look at me. At, at, so all of those, all of those pr prophetic passages in the Old Testament, Isaiah 5 and verse 7, and the words will come up on the screen. And he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed, for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. Amos 2, 6, and 7, they sell the innocent for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. They trample on the heads of the poor as on the dust of the ground and deny justice to the oppressed. This is what God is angry about with the people of Israel that sent them into captivity in the first place. Now they're back out of captivity, selling their own people back into slavery. And Nehemiah can't believe it. He can't believe it. 
And so he says, uh, he says to them all of what his response was. This, this, is the response of, this is the response of the officials after he said that this is the dumbest thing I ever heard. Verse 8, they were silent and could not find a word to say. They were silent and could not find a word to say. And here's Nehemiah's response in verse 9. So I said, the thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies? Other translations say, may, may say that you have no fear, have you no fear of God? Now, on one end, Nehemiah isn't saying, uh, he isn't saying, you're, are you not scared of God? Which he could have, really, because of what they're doing and what happened to them in, re in response to what they were doing, right? That, that we, we've been through this before once, and, and, and this is what happened. We were taken in, into captivity from another nation, and, uh, and, and yet what I think that, that Nehemiah is pointing out here is that this is the character and nature, nature of God. That God is a God of justice. That is a part of his character. So you as followers of his ought to be people who practice justice. Now here's the thing. The text says that they would be made a spectacle to the nation. Now the reason why I think that's important is that people in the Old Testament portions of the scriptures are supposed to be able to look at the people of Israel and see their reflection of who God is through their social ethics. So they should be able to look at the people of Israel and experience how just they are and look at the, how in unjust they operate within their nation and say they walk with God. And so he says, you're making us look ridiculous because people know the character and nature of our God by the way that we act. Have you no fear of God? Don't take his name and walk with it emptily. He is a just God. And so they don't answer him a word. And, uh, and, and, and this, is, this is what Nehemiah says. Nehemiah says in, in verse 10, he says, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. All right, this is what's happening. We're going to stop all of that, all of what's going on. I'm going to lend the money and the grain myself. Let us abandon the exacting of interest. Now, one of the things you have to understand is that it's against Old Testament law. If somebody is in poverty trying to get a loan to get out of poverty, it's illegal to try to get interest from that person who's in poverty. It must be a zero interest loan if you give a loan at all. And so it's, it's against the law. It, it says, return to, thi to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, and their houses, and the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that you have been exacting from them. In other words, give it all back. The interest, too, 
I don't know if you ever met a banker who, who ever said, I'll give the interest back. <laughs> Zechariah did. Give it all back. The compound interest. Give it all back. Everything, everything that wasn't yours in the first place, give it all back. Give it all back. If you were to look at other portions of the Old Testament scriptures, and, and we heard a lot of these, these passages throughout uh, the civil rights movement even, and the ironic thing is that I, I am realizing that all of what we see in Nehemiah chapter 5 is the picture of what led to the people of Israel being taken into captivity. So in Amos 5 and 24, this is what God says to the people of Israel. Let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. The, the, the ethos of the, the, the character and nature of what it meant to be a follower of God in the Old Testament scriptures, Micah 6 and verse 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what, does the, what is the essence of what it means to love God? What does he require of you? To act justly to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So that begs the question, that, that, that begs the question, Julian, why, why has this idea of justice and this idea of social justice become so convoluted in our modern time? There, there, there are a number, uh, a number of, of reasons, I, I think, because uh, if you were to look, some people would say, like, social justice doesn't exist uh, in, in the Bible. I, I don't know if you read the passage, uh, but that was social justice. Uh, and, and I understand that there have been different movements over the course of time that have, uh, that have uh, kind of misconstrued God's form of how it's done. There, there, there is a kind of uh, form of social justice that exists now uh, that decides uh, when people have done something wrong, they just get completely canceled and, and, and subjugated and uh, public, uh, uh, publicly uh, shamed, if you will. And, uh, and there are, are others of us over the course of time, we experience the storyline of uh, of people that got really passionate about uh, poverty ministry and justice ministry, and they separated it out from the message of Jesus, right? Uh, and so there was this message of salvation and grace through faith, and then there was this other thing of taking care of justice and, and poverty. And yet the, the thing about the scriptures is that the scriptures never separate the two. And the reason why, or I want to suggest, one of the main reasons why uh, this idea of social justice and Christians being uh, participants in social justice gets so convoluted is because of shame and individualism. Because of shame and individualism. So we, we look at the 77 neighborhoods of Chicago, right? And uh, we, we, we look at the 77 neighborhoods of Chicago. We go to Bronzeville, and, and we see, all right, it's a, like 
okay, interesting. You go down uh, Martin Luther King Boulevard and you see all the stars of the names of different people. And you're like, wow, how did all of these famous people live in the same proximity as one another in this huge city? Because they weren't allowed to live anywhere else. Because they weren't able to get loans to live anywhere else. And, and then we go, to, uh, we go to Humboldt Park and we say, oh, that's cool that they got the Puerto Rican flags up and the Puerto Rican culture and, and all of that. And, and, and that, that's cool. And, and what we fail to realize is that the reason why Chicago is one of the most diverse cities in the world and yet one of the most segregated cities in the world is because of injustice. Called redlining. And what happens is in our individualism, we say, Oh, I want, I want that's, that's cool. They had, I had the Puerto Rican uh, sandwich over there, and I had the Cuban sandwich over at that neighborhood, and they had great Mexican food, Julian and Pilsen, and that was wonderful. And I went to Chinatown, and, and Chinatown, man, I had some dim sum, uh, Mike, and the dim sum was, was off the chain. And that's cool. That's cool that they got all these cultures and all these different parts of, of, uh, of the city. That's, that's, that's really nice. All the while missing the very reason why they're all separate. That doesn't have nothing to do with me. Because I'm completely separated from the history of the storyline of why we are where we are. And so the idea of justice just says, well, what am I individually going to do about that? I can't do nothing about that. I can't go back uh, and, and I, I can't uh, go back and do, do nothing about it. But guess what? Collectively, we can. As a group of builders, we can. As a community of, of, of faith, as a community of, of faith, we can. And, and, and you wonder, you know, and I, I think this too is, is that like, have you ever gone to, and, and this is no shade, but this is the ironic thing of being somebody not from Chicago, coming to Chicago uh, for over 10 years now and going to suburbs in Chicago and being like, I've, I literally have been here for a whole day. I have not seen one person that's brown. Literally hasn't happened. And then everybody gets used to the reality of, well, that's just how I grew up. And that, that, that's cool. That, and that, ain't nothing wrong with that. Your friends are your friends. Your people, your, your, your people you grew up. But, but the reason why everybody around you looks like you, acts like you, votes like you, thinks like you, at some point in time, was because of injustice. And here's the thing. If you live out the perpetuation of some form of injustice in the past, then you just perpetuate the new reality of injustice. And so my question is, what if, Julian, what if Francis Asbury, 
What if Francis Asbury, instead of consecrating and dedicating the Bethel African Methodist Episcopal Church, went back to St. George's Methodist Episcopal Church and said to the leaders at St. George's Methodist Episcopal Church, what you're doing is not good. Have you no fear of God? If somebody had the courage to get up and do that, and, and, and here's the thing, Luke chapter 4, this, Jesus, gets up, Jesus gets up to preach. This is the only thing that he says in the synagogue. He quotes from Isaiah, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. Here it is, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So here's the thing, I, and, and, and this, is, this, is what, this is what I want us to see like within, within the Christian context, within the gospel context uh, of our lives, is that oftentimes when we go back to history, and, and, and this is why I think it gets, part of the reason why it gets so convoluted, and you get people who are talking uh, uh, about uh, social justice is not biblical, and, th and this, that, and the other, and, um, and, and, and we kind of isolate this version of justice and, and we start to do uh, sort of like uh, uh, gymnastics with words. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 2 that Adam and Eve were naked and they felt no shame. What happens if you look back 80 years and you realize the situation that America is in, or society is in, or Chicago is in, is because of stuff that happened 80 years ago, and you take that on yourself without the gospel of grace, you feel shame. And what is the natural response to shame? It's your fault this woman that you gave me. Adam and Eve begin to cover themselves. So we have to deflect. We, we, can't take it, we can't take it on, but if we took it on with the grace of Jesus Christ and we realize that the storyline of what happened in the past isn't a storyline that, that gets to be told about who I am, but, but I'm in Christ, and what God says over me is that I'm his beloved child upon whom his favor rests, then I can participate in righting the wrongs of the past. Watch the people's response in verse 12. We will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And I called the priests and made them swear to do as they had promised. Interestingly enough, Nehemiah makes them do, uh, they, they make a, a covenant around this, and they literally say, like, let me take on this curse if I don't do what I said I was going to do. And notice, nobody said, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Notice, no, nobody said, 
can we negotiate these terms a little bit? Nobody said, well, well they just should have complied. Just, yeah, that's it. That's it. And watch Nehemiah's response. And this is, this, is, this is where I think that this is, here we go. This is boots on the ground for us today. Verse 14, after they pay it back, moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah from the 20th year to the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. In other words, there was a tax that should have been paid to Nehemiah as the governor for his own living expenses. Not only for 12 years does he not receive that tax, but he doesn't take any land that would have come with him being governor. Not only does he not take the tax nor the land, but then it says that he himself fed 150 people every day at his own table. He threw a banquet for all the people who worked on the thing at his own expense. Now watch this. It was his right. He wasn't exacting interest that, that wasn't his right. The, his salary was supposed to be his salary. The land that he was due was supposed to be his land. The food that he was supposed to have and receive as the governor was supposed to be his food. But instead, he lays down his rights for the benefit of others. Here's the practical side of what I think that it means to live out justice in our world today. It's not to look at myself when I feel the shame and say, I've got to go do some stuff to, to fix this. It's to, it's to see myself in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ as a follower of Jesus. And, and, and here's the thing. Here's the thing. I'm going to upset Pastor Derek on this one. I love LeBron James. I think LeBron James is the second greatest basketball player in the history of the world. But here's the difference between the world and the Christian. Or here's the difference between Americans and the Christian. LeBron James has a lot to say about social injustice when it comes to black people. But when it came to the situation in Hong Kong, he didn't want to talk about that. And here's the thing. We as followers of God don't care about injustice just when it helps or hurts our own people. We care about justice for everybody, everywhere, no matter what. And so he lays down his rights. I don't know what it, what it would look like for you to lay down your rights. I know I talked to enough finance, finance uh, folks and they... they Enough guys have gone to the office and said, man, I literally, the entire office is white. I don't know, I don't know how to change that. Um, I, and, and, 
And what it may look like is, man, part, part of me laying down my rights says, hey, where's the equity, the, the, the diversity, equity, and inclusion office? Can we think about starting something that helps get teenage uh, high school students more familiar with, uh, with the way that, that finances work and how we invest money and stuff like that? How, why, why? Because we're living out of years and years of what has been perpetuated. So now we've got to find the place to inject ourselves to resolve it. And it doesn't mean that all of it's going to be perfect, but if enough Christians participate, it means that change can happen. And so we look at whatever, whether it's small groups participating in, in manna meals or uh, you know, you look at the, the breakdown of, of the urban family and Jeff and Sabrina are involved with, with, with safe families and we're getting involved in, in, in safe families. It's, uh, it's a, a, a getting affordable uh, living for, for, for people who are on Section 8 and not being a terrible landlord, right? Th- these, these are all practical ways that we can step in. How do I lay down my right? How do I say I could make this? But for the sake of others, I'm going to lay down my rights. And you say, Steve, that's a that's a hard task. I know it's a hard task. But I wonder. I wonder what if Francis Asbury. Went back to that church. And said, have you no fear of God? And really what we're living out even in this room right now is the reflection of what Christians have done over the course of history. It was a Christian named Charles Haddon Spurgeon who said, I I won't even sit with a slaveholder. It was a Christian named William Wilberforce who said, I've got to figure out how to get slavery dismantled in England. It was a Christian named Martin Luther King Jr. that led the civil rights movement in, in light of other Christians not supporting him. And what happens in light of a multi-ethnic church where we come together, and it ain't perfect. I, I realize it ain't perfect. It's probably most of the people in, in this room probably got some kind of uh, uh, high school, secondary training after high school. Most of us. But this is still, a, and, and, and you could critique it on that, on, on that end. There's not a lot of this happening in the world to this day, so we got to start somewhere. But what happens within a community of faith is people take care of one another who they're in the community with. And if there's not a divide that's broken down among the Christians to come to church with one another, I actually think that the greatest tool of justice in America is the multi-ethnic church. Yes. 
the greatest tool to dismantle injustice in America is the multi-ethnic church. So how do we do it? Why can we do it? We can do it because of what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your grace and for your kindness towards us. I realize that the conversation around this topic brings with it a number of different emotions in a multi-ethnic setting. It's just the reality. And, and so, Father, I, I pray that in light of injustice that we see in the here and now, just in a broken and fallen world, and in light of the fact that we live with the vestiges of incredible injustice that has happened around uh, our nation. God, would you help us show us how to show up? Father, would you show us how to lay down our rights for the benefit of others? Would, would you show us how to ensure that you, you and, and you've placed so many people in so many different sectors of society and so many different industries, God, would we step into situations where there is exacting of interest at exorbitant rates or whatever the case may be? And may we say, man, because I, I have a respect and a reverence for who my God is. He's a God of justice. This is how I operate. And God, as we build together, would we see those flashes that Pastor Derek is often talking about of the city being changed, of the city being being, being better because we're here for your glory and for our good. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Thanks again for tuning into our podcast today. I pray that it was a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. I look to see you at one of our services at 9 or 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. Take care. God bless you.